0: All right, here we go. Gather round, circle up, fill the cups, spill the tea. Just believe, just believe the Diamond Dogs are here. And that means that you're not alone. We get one shot at this life. And heaven knows, heaven knows that we try. That we try the diamond dogs are here, and that means that you're not alone. Don't give up, just believe. Welcome back to episode four of the Diamond Dogs Podcast. I am your host, Jason Barnaby, along with my fabulous co host, Beth Ashley. Hey, we are in episode 4 and it may be summertime in the United States, but it is Christmas time in Ted Lasso land. And so, The Carol of the Bells, episode 4, Christmas Time in Richmond. We see all kinds of Christmas There's a lot of Christmas traditions that are happening here. Roy and Keeley are trying to come up with their own little new tradition called Sexy Christmas. Uh, but unfortunately, Phoebe has to visit because mom got called to surgery. So, uh, she shows up, not very happy, feeling insecure because a boy at school teased her for bad breath. You ever been, ever been teased for something? So that's, that's happening. Higgins and his family host a Christmas party for the players from overseas. Uh, in the past, they've only had a few, but a whole bunch of people show up and uh, bringing some of their own traditions with them and some of their own traditional food. And there's some great quotes around all that, which we'll definitely get into. And unfortunately, meantime, uh, Ted is spending Christmas, first Christmas, alone on FaceTime with Henry and Michelle. Um, But unfortunately, the expensive toy takes Henry away at the beginning and and FaceTime Christmas is short-lived. But fortunately for Ted, good old Rebecca shows up and just says, look, you're coming with me. So they go off uh, doing some things and uh, really help uh, deliver some Christmas cheer to people giving uh, Christmas gifts, which is really cool. And to help Phoebe, uh, Roy comes up with a great idea. He says, we're going to go to my posh neighborhood and we're going to find a dentist. We're going to knock on 10 doors. And if we don't find a dentist within 10 houses, I'll give you both a thousand pounds. So they're pretty stoked about that. And uh, the uh, the episode wraps up with uh, Ted and Rebecca joining the party at the Higgins abode, performing Christmas. Baby, please come home. And you get a, a, a look at the pipes that Rebecca has. she can has. really sing. That sister can lay it down.
1: Yeah. Ted, not, not so, much. so much. It's not in comparison for no. sure. I feel no. like they just keep trying to find these opportunities to let her sing. Cause she's so dang good.
0: Yeah. She's it, yeah. She rocks. it So good. So, yeah.
1: yeah. So with
0: that, we're going to dive right in to lessons yeah. quotes. Um, we're going to have, we've got something fun, something a little different for yeah. uh, this episode guest wise, which yeah. we're just going to let it be a surprise, but I'm just going to give Beth full credit. Cause it was her idea. Oh, thanks. Like so many Every now and again,
1: I have now, a good one. However. You have plenty yourself, yeah, but yeah, I love this episode. I partly because I'm a Christmas nut. I don't know if we've established that on the podcast. Oh,
0: I did not know. But See, I am one of back the, the curtain.
1: Yeah, I'm one of the crazy people who has like, you know, eight Christmas trees. and.
0: Do you start in like November?
1: I, I just started doing that last year. Um, like
0: Like early November? You're one of those?
1: Well, I my here's my rule. Okay, I Okay, see so
0: if you have to I have justify some rules. It, no, okay. no, I'm not okay. justifying. Okay. I
1: am pulling back the curtain on the thought process. So, mm-hmm. I put up a, a number of trees. I put up four full-size cre- trees.
0: Full size?
1: Uh-huh. And then I put up multiple like little trees too and all my trees okay, are Okay, let themed. pause. Uh-
0: all right, we'll get to that in a minute. But are <clears throat> you yeah. fake trees or real trees? Oh, fake
1: trees. I can't do real trees. I would kill them. I can't keep anything alive. Um, okay. I do all fake, fake trees. trees and all are themed. They're all themed, and it takes some work, as you can imagine, to put up that many well, trees. So no. I started last year like I would just do like a tree, just do a tree. So I would get that tree all the way set up on a day. Okay,
0: let's talk about themes though first. Like themed. Oh, how? I have
1: so many themes. Oh. So I have a, a tree that's all Disney ornaments, oh, all from the parks because you know we're Disney people who go to the parks. And that tree is actually getting full. I'm going to have to figure out a way to divide that tree this have year. Have a
0: second tree, two Disney yeah, trees. Which we're trying seems to decide on par with Disney to have yeah. you know an abundance. Yeah.
1: Um, we have a Star Wars tree. Um, I'm learning so Star much, Wars, everybody. Yeah. Just so
0: you all know, I did not know any of these things about that. <laughs>
1: I also have, I collect back. these um, blue and white China ornaments. I have a tree that's all blue and white. And then I have a tree that's all dog ornaments. My mother-in-law buys me dog ornaments every year. So I have a whole tree that's like dogs. Wow. Um, and then I have like in our main living room, we have like our normal Christmas tree that has like all the sentimental ornaments. And that's just kind of a mishmash. Because, and then, I'm,
0: you know disney and dogs and those things aren't sentimental well but it's like
1: you know it's all like my childhood ornaments and matt's childhood ornaments and like sam's art project it's all those kinds of ornaments you know
0: and um some popsicle stick ornaments is what you're saying exactly yeah Yeah, it's that kind
1: of thing and then i just inherited all my my mother-in-law just gave me all of her she had a collection of all the um presidential ornaments like you know the white house does an ornament every year and she Did had collected those for years because she used to work at the pentagon and they would sell them in the pentagon gift shop and so she's got years and years <laughs> this year i have to do a tree just for those i think cuz there's so many of them i have a whole box full of these Good. ornaments i have to figure out Lord. something to do with those do you have um, a
0: storage facility just for christmas ornaments no but
1: i a big part of our storage unit is um christmas stuff It's a high percentage of stuff is Christmas. I just love this time of year. It always makes me feel, I feel like it's a homey. I like to be surrounded by like the warm glow of Christmas lights. Clearly
0: lots of them. Yeah.
1: Lots of them. (laughs) And I just started doing last year too. I have some of the old school retro bubble lights. Do you remember those from when you were? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: But so they make those now, and I put those on one of the trees, and I can just sit and stare at the bubble lights, to, like just be perfectly content.
0: Yeah. So pulling back the curtain on the Barnaby family Christmas, um, we hang up probably beginning like before Thanksgiving, we hang we hang up Christmas lights around our little breakfast nook, and we leave them on until damn near the beginning of summer. Yeah. <laughs> so they're I out there that. for a long time. And then we started a tradition several years ago where my wife and I, every Christmas, buy each other a bell ornament.
1: Oh, fun.
0: So we have ornaments from when we lived overseas from different countries. And we are slowly getting to the place where we only have bell ornaments on our main tree.
1: Oh, that's fun.
0: And we date them. And then some of the other, like, popsicle stick things. Yeah. Yeah. Glittery gobs of glue and things of that nature um yeah they go on some of the other trees but that's pretty it's just, much that's just that's it's about just it a, f-
1: a fun time of year it's yeah. just a festive time of year and i like to go full in yeah on holiday stuff i'm always like the hostess and the cheer bringer and i take that role super seriously. yeah so
0: well, and you know, <clears throat> bringing it back to the Diamond Dogs podcast and, and what everybody was doing. So this year, you know, they're talking about some of the new traditions and the, uh, <laughs> the secret Santa, <laughs> um, so funny and everybody's buying booze for everybody except, uh, Bumber. What's his name? Bumbercast? Yeah. Bumber cast or something Bumper, I can yeah. knits, knits a guy, a scarf. Yes. And he says like, that's good. I can wrap my booze. Yeah. <laughs> It's just funny. But I think quite possibly my favorite part of all this is Jamie shows up like the whole staff's in Ted's office and they're having some Christmas moments. And then he comes in. He's like, could you help me? Could you help me like come up with the secret Santa gift? And Like you didn't get a gift. And he says something like it was. It I was, a secret. It. It was yes, a secret. it was
1: a surprise. <laughs> you weren't supposed to.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> so like... Ted pulls a bottle of liquor out of a cabinet, throws it to somebody who you know, and like everybody gets involved. They put yeah. you know, they twist some paper around it, and put some put some ribbons on it, and true to Jamie, <laughs> oh he God. just he he his 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 quote is God bless me, it's me. God,
2: everyone.
1: everyone. <laughs> yeah that is so like classic <laughs>
0: oh my gosh classic. it's just it's just hilarious Poor jamie
1: he's just such a hot mess you know my favorite part of that whole scene though is isaac dressed in like full santa on a yes. throne and he's yes. like
0: in the middle of the Reveal
1: yourself <laughs> Secret yeah. santa. that because yeah. I, I feel like i mean isaac is definitely a character but we don't we don't see that that often. Right. We like we right. I feel like this season we get to see a little bit more about Isaac, and he is just clearly a little bit of a diva and hilarious. Like yeah. just.
0: We see him a lot in this episode and in the next. Yeah, one, but he's yeah, yeah him he's on the throne with the gift. sunglasses. It's yeah, uh, oh my god, it's pretty fantastic. So, so
1: funny. He's quickly becoming another favorite character of yeah. mine this season. So there's just a lot to unpack here. Where this uh, the you know the episode five. I know five two is maybe one of my mm. favorite episodes yeah. ever. So we have. We have our hands full these next couple. We do with just trying to unpack some of the goodness. So definitely, that you know, this episode starts off with the scene in the locker room, and then really cuts to this great storyline that happens with Keeley and Roy and um, Sexy Phoebe. Christmas. Oh my gosh, that part is so funny. They end up with Phoebe, Phoebe, unexpectedly for Christmas, and she's got this whole bad breath situation happening. And yeah. poor kid. I poor kid.
0: Bernard. His was mean, was mean Bernard oh, as that's right. say on this side of the pond and yeah and all Roy wants to do is go beat up a little kid, which yeah Keely's like, No, we're not doing that.
1: Yeah, it's good that Keely's in Roy's life, yeah. I feel like Keeley, for a Keeley's lot of a reasons. Good,
0: yeah, she's a regulator.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they get um they get Phoebe to unpack what's happening and then you know, go on this hunt for dentist to
0: because it turns out, right? Her antihistamine, she's on some new antihistamines because they got a cat. And the antihistamines have made her breath bad. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so they're, they're desperately on the search and it is Christmas day, right? On the search for,
1: yes, um, I believe it is Christmas day
0: for a, a, for a dentist to help her out and figure out how to help. Yes.
1: And I, the parts where they smell her breath.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Oh my God, so funny. Like I'm sure they, that somebody
0: can YouTube just like just that for part. that. Yeah. It's,
1: because, you know, Keely smells it first. And she's you can tell she's trying really hard to not to react, but she immediately almost like gags because it's yeah, so bad. And like
0: is retching. And yeah. Roy's like, what the hell? And she's like, I'm sorry, I really tried hard not to.
1: Yeah. But it's and so then, bad. <laughs>
0: Roy does it and y'all go seriously look this up on YouTube. His response mm-hmm. with just his eyebrows. Oh
1: my gosh. His so eyebrows funny. should get a Grammy. They really should. It, a, an Emmy, a Grammy
0: an, an Emmy. Emmy Emmy. Yeah. Cause Grammy is for singing, they, right? for singing. Yeah. I don't
1: think his eyebrows sing, but they are no. very emotive and they are. Yes. Very <laughs> so funny. So funny. Uh, and he says something like, Oh, here's the light I've spent. 20 years in locker rooms with men. I'm sure I've smelled worse. And then clearly he had not smelled worse. Yeah.
0: And Keely even says, I'm not so like, don't be so sure. Yeah. Like it
1: is pretty apparently pretty wretched. So that scene, eventually they find this dentist who, you know, diagnoses what's happening. They get her some medicine. And then in a true love actually form that's from, so they do this like play on. A scene from Love Actually where they have her do these poster boards, and they end up at Bernard's house, and she, she like you know is is unpeeling these poster boards about how she's how he made her feel, and what what's the punchline at the end?
0: Because she just she says one of the poster boards is like you can do better, and she said if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna deal with him, and she's yes. got a a a you know a, a arrow to Roy, and Roy, Roy and growls he goes, at her. <laughs> And then she said, so or funny. her and Keely's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so just, it's so great. Cause it shows the two different sides of that relationship. Yes. Um.
1: So, so funny.
0: And, and the part that I. I oh, think... here's
1: the part. Here's the part I was looking for. Yeah. Go. He's, he's, she says, unless you make thoughtful amends, you'll stink forever. <laughs> She's like, cause she says something like it's, that's it. it's my breath may stink, but unless you make thoughtful amends, you'll stink I'll forever. Stink
0: forever." It's, yeah. It's, it's so funny. So perfect. And it's so oh true. Gosh. And I think, you know, for me, as I watch this episode, that's one of the great lessons because she like, you know, he was, he was really mean. He didn't just tell her that her breath was stinky. He bought her like a toothbrush and toothpaste and mouthwash and gave it to her as a gift. Yes, yeah, so Like mean. that's, that's I mean, that took some, that took some planning, right? That was very intentional. And I love it at the end because she says, I forgive you. And I think that's one of the lessons for me as I watch this is that forgiveness is best given when there's nothing to gain in return. Like she didn't, she didn't, she, she was the one wronged, right? So she didn't have to forgive. And we've talked about apologies and all that on, on our podcast, but, um, I think that's just a great model. We we I think so often we withhold forgiveness because we feel like we deserve something in return and she's just giving it. Yeah. And at the end of the poster board ordeal he does say he says I'm sorry. Yeah. And yeah. she smiles really big and and on you know on they go. But I I just I think that's that's really forgiveness is best given when there's nothing to gain in return. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's good and- stuff. Kids are always such good models of that, too. Ugh. I feel like kids are so much better than yes. adults at things like that every single time. So that's like the first part of this theme that really ever emerges for me in this episode, which is really all about servant leadership. Yes. Um, I don't know if I see that just because that's such a passion area for me, but it's like Roy and yeah. Keeley in service of Phoebe, even yeah. though they had these other Um, things going on. And there are still great leadership moments in this, especially from Keely, who, you know, really helps her um, both solve a problem, but also deal with the emotional side of it. Like there's a whole, you know, complex thing happening. And then there's this great storyline of Higgins. I just, you know, again, if we need any more evidence that Higgins is a two, oh
0: my gosh,
1: um, it's just so clear that he is. So he opens up his house at Christmas. Apparently he does this most years for players who can't go home. And I guess typically he only gets a handful, but this time he gets like most of the team shows up, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, super sweet. Like clearly that he's, he's built a different kind of relationship with the team than maybe he had in the past. Um, and first it's just so many hilarious moments that happen. So great. Oh my gosh. So many great ones, but this just like, I'm going to open up my house and I'm going to yeah. make you feel welcome and invite in your traditions and your stories to this. And there's this great scene where they're doing a toast and he knows exactly mm. where everybody's from. And he, you know, it's just all so good. Like it's just yeah. good service leadership. This whole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, he goes around the, I think we have that on our quote. Yeah. Um, quote list. Cause he goes around and he says, uh, you know, when he's toasting, he says to the family we're born into and to the family we make along the way. And he yeah. says, like, I'm sure you would have rather have been with your own families. And the, he literally goes around to every single player, like, and he says the country that they're from, which is just so cool and really makes them. I mean, to me, there's nothing mm-hmm. more like when you use somebody's name, you feel yeah. very seen like him knowing where these folks are from. I have to have to believe that they feel very seen. One of the funniest parts of this whole thing is when Higgins says, cause Sam shows up early. Cause he really has to pee. Yes. And he says, I know I'm early, but I really have to use your bathroom. And, and they do this little exchange. And he says to, to Sam, he says, so Sam back home, what does Christmas make you think of? Mm. <laughs> Sam goes colonization. <laughs> I know that part's so funny. Uh, It's so funny. Oh my gosh. And, and, and Higgins then there's is just
1: the... go.
0: Higgins is just like, oh yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's just this awkward thing, but they just keep pushing on. Yeah. And, and then it's... Sam's
1: like, I do still really need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so then he finally gets into the bathroom, but it's so funny. Uh, and then when Danny comes in, oh my gosh. Oh, so they all so like, funny. inadvertently kind of, I don't know if they it doesn't seem like it's planned, but Maybe right. it was, but so Danny brings this punch from, um, you know, his home country and, and he hands it to Higgins, wife. And, um, and he says, if you want to be cheeky, you can put some tequila in it. And she smells it. And she says, this one <laughs> smells like it already has tequila in it. And he said, yes, this one is pre-cheeky. <laughs> and it's so funny. <laughs> Danny kills me anyway, but it's oh, just, he
0: does. Oh and it's just, gosh. it's such the perfect thing for his personality. He's oh, just no. larger than yeah. life. And, and, you know, so fun uh, and
1: joyful. And of course he's brought this punch to get everybody drunk. Oh, it's drunken. so great. Oh my gosh. So funny. Yeah. Oh, so it's good.
0: Really, it's good stuff. So, you know, they have, they, most of, so we've got kind of two storylines going on. We do know that, uh, that beard is off with Jane didn't they go to Stonehenge or something? Yeah, they for, went like, somewhere.
1: Ritual some. Because like- they,
0: they bought tickets when they were still together, but now they're going as friends. And we know that Nathan is going to be with his family. Um, so they're not really in the picture. And so we've got this whole thing going on with the the team. And then there's this whole other thing going on with, with Ted and Rebecca.
1: And that and, might be my favorite servant leadership story of this whole dang thing.
0: Yeah. And again, we're, we're seeing more and more of who Rebecca really is. And she, I love it. Cause you know, Ted's at home and it shows him, you know, he's already into a bottle of bourbon. He pours a pretty stiff portion um, as he's getting ready to watch uh, I think, again, uh, it's a wonderful life, or he's already watching it, but it's getting towards the end. And and he does talk later about how he was just going to do that on repeat. And I think Rebecca is like throwing rocks at the window, right? Mm-hmm. To get his attention. And mm-hmm. he comes to the window and she has spelled out high Ted and tinsel on the ground, which is just so great. Because it's if you remember cute. back in uh, season one, he said, hi, he spelled out high boss with all the players. So as cute as I think that is, I want to draw attention to the fact, and we've said this before, but people are always paying attention. Mm-hmm. Like when he did that initially, she didn't even respond. You know, it yeah. said, hi, boss. And she, she was like, she was like, whatever. Yeah. But like, it made an impression. It stuck so much so that she wanted to do it for him. And, you know, she shows up, she's got this high Ted thing written in, in green and red tinsel. And she just says, grab your coat. Let's go. So, again, we've talked about the importance of tribe. Beth and I are tribe members together. Um, We have walked with one another through lots of things. Um, And it's just, I think in this situation, it's great to have those tribe members who just don't even give you a choice.
1: Yeah. You know, she just says,
0: grab your coat, keep the hat on because he's got a Santa hat. (laughs) And they're just off. And. Again, I'm going to go back to this thing. Beth and I both do facilitation. Adult, it's amazing to me what adults will do when oh, you tell sure. them what to do with enough yeah. confidence and courage. Yes. right. You Very know, because people are like, yeah. well, what if they don't? It's Look, they will they do will. it. Yeah, they, will they will follow you wherever it is that you want mm-hmm. them to go. And she's like, get your coat and your hat and let's go. And he's like, OK. And he just he just goes. And they're off on this journey, which I I love. Because she's serving him, but she's also serving the community. Mm-hmm. And you know, since that's one of your favorite pieces, what what part of this do you do you really? I do, yeah, I love that part love? of it.
1: Part of it, part of what I love too is that the insight that she has mm-hmm. to go first to go check on him to begin with, which partly she knows because she's divorced too. Like she's yep. been through you know, she's a little bit ahead of Ted on his journey as a, as a newly divorced person. Mm -hmm. And she even says something like, I remember the first Christmas, it was really hard. And I had a hunch that exactly what happened was what was going to happen. Um, and that you might need help today. And, you know, she just shows up and doesn't give him a choice And that part of it is really fantastic. And then the fact that it turns out what she takes him to do is giving back to others. That's one of the best things that you can do when you're feeling totally. down <laughs> is to focus some energy towards other people and um, you know obviously the gift of charity on the other side is is really really helpful and beneficial to people. but never under underestimate the value of what charity brings to you. like the the giver gets just as much as the getter in those situations if, if not more. more. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And I think that is such a smart move. He gets to step out of himself yeah. and focus on others. And um, it's just it's just stellar.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, in that vein, I had I used to lead music in church and I had my guitar stolen once and out of my car. And I was trying to decide what I was gonna do. And I was talking to a, a guy who um, knew a lot about guitars and we were just talking so what are you going to do what are you going to buy and i'm not a gearhead i just so i told him about this guitar that i that i went and played that sounded Mm -hmm. really good that i really liked and he called me up like two weeks later he's like hey i borrowed this paint from you it was like a five gallon bucket of paint he's like i want to give it back to you i'm like dude i don't really want the paint back like it's really no and he's like no really i want to give it back to you so i go to his house you know you know where this is going (laughs) and he's got a guitar for me like in a hard shell case which is I mean, that's a big deal in the guitar world, at least for me when I had no money. And, uh, he, and he gives me this guitar and it's the guitar that I had told him about. had no idea that he was going to go buy it. And, uh, he gives it to me and I'm like, dude, I can't take this. I mean, I was really emotional. I'm like, I can't take this. And he says to me at the time, and I didn't really understand. I do now because I've done similar things now but I, he said, I'm more excited to give this to you than you are to get it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not sure that's true, <laughs> but yeah. you know, and it is, it is. If, you, if you've if you had an opportunity to give something like that, it's, yeah. it's a privilege. Yeah. It's a gift to give a gift like that. Um,
1: well, and it's the, you know, it's the spirit of Christmas too. You it know, is. it's the spirit of, Yeah, what that time of year is supposed to be about. And sometimes we lose sight of that, I think, but that's my absolute favorite part of Christmas is like really thinking about what is going to feel like a gift to people and trying to provide that in whatever way we are capable of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, That's Um, really good. Yeah. Super good. The storyline with Ted and Rebecca ends ends in them showing up at Higgins's house and um, the singing scene, which is also really great. And again, their service in them showing up at Higgins's house and wanting to be with the team and, you know, making that bigger connection as a family that works together too, I think is also, it's just a great way to end the episode.
0: Yeah. I do think um, a couple of great quotes that happened along (laughs) the way is, you know, they're going to from house to house and, you know, giving away presents, Rebecca and, and, uh, and Ted. And it's just funny because he just keeps being reminded that he's a foreigner. And at one point he said, <laughs> she, he's standing on the passenger side of the car, which would be the driver's side in America. And he says, do you want me to drive? And she says, the steering wheel is on this side. He's like, right. I forgot. I'm the one here with the accent. <laughs> and it's just, it's like, it's so yeah. great. And then the other one about when um when Roy uh and Keely when they when they solve the problem and uh Keely says to Roy, like, see, doesn't it feel better to solve a problem instead of beating up a little kid? And Roy's <laughs> just, is like, mm. yeah, he's
1: <laughs> not convinced, I don't think, in the moment, which is oh, just, which I just love because yeah. he just It's you so know, Roy
0: violence and meanness is his mm-hmm. response to everything yeah I just lots think of anger
1: in there yeah so good. part of the storyline we didn't talk about too is this last quote that we have that i think is so ridiculously funny so part of the storyline is rebecca typically goes to a um holiday party of that elton john has
0: pretty swanky it's funny I, I don't know how she yeah.
1: knows him but she, yeah. she in this imaginary world knows him and <laughs> I don't even know if I can do it justice.
0: <laughs> Give it a shot.
1: Ted goes, hold me closer, tiny, tiny dancer, prancer, and fix <laughs> Even while he was saying it, I was like, see, I can't even get it out because it's so funny. Like,
0: yeah, it's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Love he can it. even
1: make a Christmas pun.
0: I know. We love in it.
1: any occasion.
0: And then I, th- I think we would be remiss because I think if we're talking about leadership, I think this quote is also a lesson. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when when Phoebe shows up with Roy at Keeley's and she's not happy and Phoebe's trying to get her to unpack everything that's going on and she's like, come on, tell me what's wrong. And Phoebe's just not having it. And I love what Keeley says. She goes, problems are like mushrooms. Yeah. The longer you leave them in the dark, the bigger they get. And listen, leaders, if you are hoping that continually lifting up the rug and sweeping it under is going to make that pile smaller, you are mistaken. Uh, I think we may have talked about this before, but it, it, it bears repeating. If you have a person on your team that you know is toxic, I don't care if they have been the top producer for years. I don't care. If they are toxic, they are affecting your team. And the sooner that you can either address that, and get them coaching and get them on the right path or eliminate that and get them out of your organization and off of your team, the better off the team as a whole is going to be. It is not going to get better. And you not doing something about it, your team is watching that and paying attention to that. And you have got to do something about it because they're paying attention.
1: You bet. I love
0: that. Turn it into a big old mushroom.
1: Yeah. I love that so much. All right. I think that's it. And, and let's get to our guests. Cause I think there's going to be some um, more lessons learned there.
0: Would that be guest with an S at the end? Because we have more than we one. Do,
1: in fact, have more than one this time. So let's get to that.
0: It's going to be exciting.
1: If you feel like you've lost your fire, especially during the great resignation in the wake of a global pandemic, you're not alone. People are rethinking life choices and life paths like never before. Lucky for you, it's not a road you have to walk alone. Igniting the Firestarter Within chronicles Jason Barnaby's and several other leaders' journeys from corporate professional to solopreneur. This book will help you find your fire, fan the flame, and tend your tribe as you work to uncover the real you. Want to accelerate your results? Check out 30 Days to Blaze, a 30-day practical step-by-step guide to finding and feeding the fire inside of all of us. You can get both on Amazon.com.
3: Well, hey, we are super excited today to have two guests on the show, Jeff Tun and Carly Cope, talking about something that is very near and dear to their hearts, near and dear to our hearts, near and dear to the heart of Ted. And the people that are in his uh, his tribe, and that is servant leadership. So first of all, thank you both for joining us today and being on the show. <laughs> Glad I'll to be here. Yeah, we're so and excited then, to have you. Uh, as we dive into this area, this concept, this content of servant leadership, for us, this is something that it's who we are. It's what we do. It, I mean, you can't separate it from who we are because it is part of our DNA, I would say. But I I have to believe that there are still some people hard as that is to imagine out in the world who do not like servant leadership. What is what does that even mean? And I have to tell you, I've worked for some people in the past that if you uh, (laughs) if you tried to describe servant leadership, um, they would probably puke because it would make them sick to their stomachs because of the uh, of the whole idea. Like, what is that? So what I would like to do is just start with a baseline. Carly, can we start with you first? Just give us your definition of what when you hear the word servant leadership what does that mean to you
4: yeah yeah happy to i'm so so passionate about it and um thrilled to be on the show and and as i was thinking through and reflecting about sort of where we might go in a conversation i had to question myself and even reflect back on when was i first introduced to even the term servant leadership you know like when did i hear about this first and so i was going back through some materials and Like many of you, you probably have heard you sort of the father of servant leadership was Robert Greenleaf, and he has tons of material content out there. So I was reviewing some of that, just again, reflecting in as I pulled it up, the definition, part of the definition on how he defines it specifically is is sort of contrasting what a servant leader does versus what more of a traditional leader does. And he has this phrase of some might need, have the need to assuage unusual power. And I thought there are not enough opportunities in my day-to-day life to use the word assuage. I feel like need Thank to you have for that as it. like our yeah I, I really want that yeah. as our word of the day I feel like I drink some wine or something, some wine or something yeah. <laughs> as you're saying that like Ooh, a flage. I yeah I, I really like that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no so so it's really simple for me it's truly just putting the needs of others first right putting the needs of your team mm. first that's that's as, as simply as I can define it in practice. And what's that look like day to day? It's really about me shifting my style to meet the needs of my team members, so that they are successful. That's,
2: mm, that's, that's so it. good.
4: It's just you know, at the, the root of it, that's how I define it.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's awesome, Carly. Because I, I love that. Um, I like you in preparation for today. I went and it's like I knew it was green leaf. Let me go see what he says uh, about it. And uh, so we were probably on the same website uh, check, checking that out. I, I first ran into the term. Oh, in the 2000s, the early two thousands, uh, when I uh, joined Loth Property Group, uh, my uh, my manager at the time uh, introduced me, I think, to Greenleaf's books and and things like that. But you know, it's it's been interesting for me because it's something that I've always kind of just naturally done. My my father was a, a minister, and talk about a role model of servant leadership, right? How how I brought that to to my job was very similar to what Carly said. My job is to help the people that are in my charge, in my department, to get the most out of their career that they possibly can. Help them be successful. And by helping them be successful, the organization, the team will be successful. And I, I always told uh, my teams that my, my, Happiest day of my career would be when they walk into my office to resign because they're going to go be mm-hmm. CIO somewhere else. That means that's I did so my great. job. I got them ready for what's next. And that encompasses a lot of things, right? Just uh, helping them grow, holding them accountable because that's a way, you know, yeah. one of the other things about servant leadership is some people sometimes think that it's, uh, it's meek. <laughs> right it, it's yeah. it's not a yeah. powerful visionary yeah. leader and that's not the case at all uh there is room for accountability within being a servant leader because that's also how people grow so i i love the topic and and very glad you asked uh, both carly and i to be on the show today
4: yeah. yeah you you are so so right though that that's the common misconception i know i've heard over the past few years is that to be a servant leader is is like you're this genie, you know, granting wishes or your Oprah in the you can yeah. raise, and you can <laughs> yeah. project and you you know that and that could not be further from the truth. You know, helping people be successful and serving them sometimes mean you still have to have the tough conversation in a kind way or mm-hmm. you know give them yeah. the feedback or push them a little bit more or hold them accountable. It that really helps balance the whole definition.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I want to pull back for a sec cuz we went like right to the meat. So let let <laughs> let's get like a little bit of an intro for both of you. So like just a little bit about yourself. Um what do you do now? Why are you interested in the subject?
4: Um yeah, I'm I'm happy to go. So um Carly Cope, I'm the Vice President of Talent Management for Community Health Network. Um coming up on celebrating 6 years with this incredible organization. Um, I've spent my career inside of healthcare, outside of healthcare, for-profit, non-for-profit. This has been one of the most unique experiences of my life where I actually genuinely feel that connection to purpose. I feel even in my role as a support person, um, leading a team of support individuals, how we impact what's happening with our patients and, and most of the time in really scary moments of their life. I love what I get to do. I lead incredible people who have taught me so, so much every single day. I'm just in such a fortunate position. Um, Thrilled to be here with you today. You know, I I started my career in the space of leadership development. That's sort of how I fell into HR and training and education and have built from there. Um, And I have such a passion for helping leaders be incredibly uh, powerful and understand their their unique role in everyone's lives so that they have the opportunity to serve so happy to be here today
1: yay and carly is uh my former boss so when i was at community carly was my boss so she's the one that i talk about doing things like asking my favorite candy and then providing it that's carly that's who she is ah so. uh,
3: i did not i did not i did not connect the dots there Yeah, I that's mean i carly. Oh, awesome. okay <laughs> ah well yeah. and in this short amount of time that i've known Carly on this podcast, I can already see, of course, that's something that she does.
1: <laughs> yes, that's exactly. And she um, is just as delightful to work for as it sounds like she is, so...
4: I don't believe all of the lies, but I will tell you, Jeff, you know, you, you had mentioned, you know, great day in your life is when you've got someone that comes in to give the resignation to move on. Beth did that with me. And that was not a great moment in my life. I was so sad to have her go. I just adore her so much. Well, right
1: back at you. It was a hard thing to do. It was a hard thing to do and you handled it incredibly well. So, <laughs> all right, Jeff, how about a little bit about you?
2: Sure. So I've been in information technology for <clears throat> 40 years. Um it's uh that's a number that just stuns me every time I say it. Um but I but you're I only my 30.
1: Course. How does that work? I
2: know, I know. That's well incredible. You know, I was negative 10. Yeah, yeah. Um no, I I I started back in the day of green screens and punch cards, and that was computers way back when, right? Um, and, uh, I was going to be a software developer. We called them programmers back in the mm-hmm. ancient days of it, not developers, but I was going to be a, a programmer for the rest of my career, right? I was the long hair, hippie, cobalt programmer, hard to believe now that the hair <laughs> used to be to my shoulders. And I was just going to write code. And I got drug kicking and screaming into management by two of my best friends, uh, who said, uh, you really need to do this management thing. You'd be really good at it. And I kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to play politics. I don't want to do that. Um, and I, they, they finally convinced me. Um, and I ended up doing that. I should add that one of those best friends is now my wife and she's downstairs. Aww. By I didn't know
1: that Jeff. <laughs> That's so sweet. So, um,
2: she, uh, she, and uh, another friend of mine got me into management and I, and I, what I found out was I I was good at it in working with people in understanding and helping them grow, kind of that coaching aspect of being a servant leader is what I what I found that that was kind of my style as I tried to learn my way around it. So anyway, I spent forty years in in IT, twenty years of that in management roles uh, for a wide variety of companies. Um, left. Um, it to join a tech company. About uh, gosh, it's been seven years ago now. I, I like to joke and say I moved to the dark side and became a vendor. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then, about two years ago, I took advantage of this thing called a pandemic. Uh, and uh, left to open my own business. Who wouldn't business in the
1: middle of a, a pandemic? <laughs> Who wouldn't? That's what I say. Um,
2: and so today I, I run, I, I'm an author and speaker, uh, a coach. Uh, I've got uh, about a dozen uh, IT professionals that I coach one-on-one uh, and do just a wide variety of things, uh, always promoting leadership concepts. That's, that's my focus because I think we need different kinds of leaders in, uh, in the technology space.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, I'm going to pick on you a little bit, Jeff, if you don't mind. Because I think this next question, I really want to dig into like, what are some practical ways that servant leadership shows up for you? So like, what are the tangible, practical things? And I want to pick on you a little bit, Jeff, because I really want you to tell this story about how you started your business, because that is one of the best servant leadership stories I've ever heard. That moment where you decided to step out on your own. How I, Do you mind sharing it?
2: Oh no, I I I don't mind. I will I will tell that story. But um, so I think servant leadership shows up for me, you know, in a wide variety of ways. Uh, I mentioned the coaching, helping people grow in their careers, um, uh trying to put yourself in theirs and and what it feels like to be doing their job uh, and removing roadblocks, but The story I think that you're referring to, Beth, was when I did make that decision uh, to leave the corporate world. We saw very early on uh, at the company where I was uh, working, we were on the executive team there, and we started talking as the executive team about what this pandemic thing was gonna mean. Uh, And for us, it meant some some reductions in force, uh, quite honestly. And so we were talking about how we would do that and where we would make those reductions and uh, I went to, to my boss, the CEO, and I said, um, if, you're, if, if you're thinking about making these reductions, you've gotta be thinking about making reductions at the executive level. And he says, well, yeah, we kind of have thought about that. And I said, well, if you're thinking about making changes at the executive level, then you probably need to be thinking about me or this other person, given our two departments. I was in charge of product. She was in charge of marketing. Um, and I said, so if that's the case and he said, yeah, that's, that's kind of the case. And I said, well, uh, pick me, I'm, I'm ready to step out on my own. Anyway, this is something I've been working on anyway. Um, and, um, it makes more sense to, for me to do that, not to mention that an executive salary, it probably saved another couple of positions, uh, in the organization, uh, as we weathered the storm, uh, of that was the pandemic. So it ended up working out very well. My previous employer became my first client of my, of my business. Uh, so I still get to do a lot of the fun stuff I was doing before their, their podcast, um, Beth, and I know you've been on our, our talking about your book. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a great couple of years since making that decision to, to, to step out and, and I'll add to your audiences, your your listeners, that Beth was one of the people that helped me come to that decision uh, in that mastermind group that we were talking about. Um, and uh, um, it was it was really that group giving me the permission not to do it, right? You don't have to step out because I was like, oh, man, I'm <coughs> with all these stoners and they're going to want me to, to go out on my own. And they kind of gave me permission not to do it. <laughs> uh, and then the perfect storm of the pandemic uh, came about, uh, and uh, it was right about the time that that my first book was kind of taken off, and uh, speaking engagements went to zero. But there were other opportunities to to do that work. So, uh, so thank you to Beth oh, for shush. helping me make that uh, step as well.
1: Happy to have been a, a teeny tiny part of that that journey. And, and the, the reason that I was able to give you that advice, ironically, it's good that you and Carly are meeting because the reason I was able to give you that advice is because I knew what it felt like to work with, work for a leader in a transparent way as you made that transition. So mm-hmm. I told, I didn't actually start taking clients until the summer. I left my job in November. I took a handful of clients. I was very open with Carly about that. And I was like, I think this is what's happening next for me. I love it here, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think this is what's, what's happening for me. And she was able to let me continue to do great work for her, but support what was coming next for me too. Yeah. Um, and that's why I could give you that advice. Cause I knew you could do it. Like, I know it can yeah. be done. I did it. Um, and it takes so much of the pressure off to have that income still. And that family still, and all the things that come from having that corporate wow. job.
2: And I should give a shout shout out to Aaron Stone, who was our CEO at the time, because Aaron Aaron also is this model of servant leadership. And he and I had similar conversations. It sounds like you and and Carly had, Um, you know, I was out doing speaking around my book. Um, In fact, the company bought a lot of copies of my book to pass out to clients and employees. So he was very supportive of doing that kind of knowing that that was the direction I was going at some point
1: just yeah. came
2: a couple of years before we thought it would.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that story though so much. Cause I think there are a lot of leaders who in that moment would have been like, okay, what can I do to try to hold on to my job? What do I need to prove to somebody? So I hold my job. And that in that, in that moment, as scary as that must've been, you were able to be like, no, like it should be me. Here's yeah. why. And I think that's also why you've kept them as a client, you know, like that integrity yeah. is transferable that that's why they're still your client.
4: The two of you are, you know, clearly out doing your own thing, such entrepreneurs. And and there's so much to be afraid of when you go out to go do your own thing. And telling your boss at the time should not be one of the scary things. (laughs) It's just amazing that that was ever a hurdle that you had to ever think to get through of all of the scary things you had to tackle. It's pretty amazing. Right. But how
1: many people, I mean, I have for (laughs) sure worked for, I worked for a leader once, when I told him I wanted to go to graduate school, he told me I should go find another job Oh Ugh. wow! because wow. going to graduate school didn't have anything to do with my job. And what did I think I was going to do? Take his job. That's what he told me. And I had to go find a new job because I was going to graduate school. There are plenty that's of leaders funny. out there that are. And sadly, that's just still the case. And I think that's why conversations like this are still so important. You know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that is still happening, you know and i'm incredibly blessed that it it didn't happen to me or to you jeff but it happens it happens to a lot of people so carly i you're such a wealth of of tangible practical ideas for putting stuff into action so i'm curious for you like what are some practices that you have in place that really help you live out that philosophy that i know you hold super dear
4: it sounds so simple and i don't even know that it's unique to what servant leadership is i think it it lends itself to pretty much any um successful leadership model but get to know your people get to know your team members get to know them on an individual basis understand what motivates them how they like to be recognized what they look like under stress and what, how that might be different than normal times you know what's going on in their family life if they're willing to share like genuinely get to know them as people and it will serve you so well. It builds um, that connection that every human wants and craves. I just, it, it absolutely astonishes me that there are still leaders who don't understand or think that this is like soft skills. It's, it's, yeah. it's um, <laughs> you know, it, it's not necessary or required. Like this is it. This is fundamentally what you need to do as a leader is just get to know your team. And, and in a really authentic way too, I, I have had a leader recently, you could tell that they tried. So they tried, the effort was there, but you could tell that they had their checklist in front of them that started with, you know, connect on a personal level. So it was (laughs) that one, you know, Carly, tell me about you and your three boys. Okay, great. Carly, tell me how dating life is going. You know, it just was such a, okay, we can just move on. We don't, we don't need to do this. This just doesn't feel good. So authenticity also matters in this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it has to come from a place of, like, genuinely wanting to know the answer. Otherwise, nobody's going to disclose anything to you. Oh, my gosh. Well,
2: and Carly, I think it's great that you use that as the example. Because I, when I was a new manager, it would have been mid-90s. You know, they, they were teaching us, well, you can't be friends or friendly with yeah. people that work for you. You can't be their boss and their friend at the same time. And what I learned after after a, a good period of time and, and honestly losing some good friends because took that to heart originally is that the reason they tell you that is because it makes your job easier as a, as a manager, right? If I'm not friends with Beth, then when I have to have a difficult conversation with Beth, it's easier on me. Uh, right. And it's like, no, you have to get to know them. You have to care.
1: Well, and I think there's such an argument to be made for it makes those conversations easier. Like I, Carly Agreed. can give me feedback probably more effectively than almost anybody in my life because I know she knows me, cares mm-hmm. about me and values me. Right. Yeah. She can tell me whatever she wants to She could tell me I'm the worst coach and facilitator she's ever met in her life. And I would be like, <laughs> okay, tell me more about that. Let's get to work. You know, like yeah. she yeah. could legitimately tell me something that harsh and I would be interested to know more. And what, how can I work on that? Because the
4: relationship's there. Um, so that and advice, it,
1: I know it used to happen, but man, it's bad advice.
4: Yeah. and We've talked about this over the years, the importance of trust. It yeah. has to start there yeah. and that, yeah. you know, any effective relationship, regardless if it's professional or personal, you have to have that level of trust. And that's what enables that conversation. I have to believe that Beth knows I have her best interest at heart that mm-hmm. I want her to succeed. She knows that. And she can give me feedback because I trust her as well.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I love to like. I want you to talk about this. Is not. I mean, it's a little related. I think the feedback accountability conversation is is absolutely related to servant leadership, and it's such an important skill set for leaders to grasp. And Carly, while you're on the show, I can't not pick your brain a little bit because the the ways in which you have uh, really made systems around feedback our next level. Like when I started working on your team, I was like, damn, that's not even hard. How have I not been doing that? Like, that's just smart. And I do this for a living. I tell people how to be a good leader for a living. Why have I never done it before? And I started doing it as a leader. And I was like, this is genius. It's all genius. So talk a little bit about like how you've built that as just part of team culture, because it's next level
4: she is really overestimating my abilities here. <laughs> no, I'm to not. It the I'm underestimating,
1: <laughs> underestimating.
4: Um, it's so I think we've all lived through just terrible feedback experiences where it was the Oreo approach of, you know, a positive, a negative, a, a, I just, in that just, it's awful. It's just awful. Or, or you get feedback that's a month late, or it just feels like, okay, we know we need to do this. It it enables high performance on a team. Like let's think about how we could do this so that it's not, it's it's less scary and that it's expected. And so there were a couple practices we had in place and still do um, around in every one-on-one there's an expectation of feedback near the end or whenever it feels organic or most comfortable you talk and I'm able to give feedback constructive and positive. Mo- most of the time it's on the positive end of here's how I saw you show up awesome this week. And I love this thing you did in class. I've never heard that before that reinforcing feedback is j- so valuable. So ending, you know, in um, one-on-ones on feedback and, but also opening the door up for your team member to give you feedback. Cause guess what? We're all learning and growing and no one's doing this perfectly. And just like you want them to be open to hearing feedback from you, you've got to be just as open and vulnerable to hearing feedback from them. So, you know, creating that process, I think was really helpful. Um, I think, integrating feedback again, even in more of the positive tone into team meetings where peers are able to give each other feedback. You know, I got to attend your class this week. It was awesome. Here's all the things that you did great. Or I got to work with Beth on this project. Here's how she helped me. So it just became less of a monumental like event to build up to. Feedback just was happening all of the time.
1: Yeah, and uh-huh. it builds a culture where it does just become the norm and the tough conversations when you have to have them are way easier because again, you know people's intention behind it. People are more comfortable with it. Also, you do such a good job of making sure that your teams are strong, that the whole team has strong personal relationships. So it's easier mm-hmm. to have tough conversations peer to peer, you know, leader to um to colleague, whatever. Like it just becomes easier. And and The the systems you put into place really, again, none of that sounds hard, but how many people really do that? Not that many. Like, you know, it's not (laughs) difficult, but to like do it regularly and to integrate it into points that you already have in place, things that are already happening. That's the easy way to make it just a normal thing. Right. Well, and
4: both of you work with newer leaders, I imagine, and, and certainly I have, and I've been a newer leader and it's intimidating at times for sure. and it's scary and it doesn't come natural really for a lot of, really no one. It's not really fun to do constructive feedback, but um, I, my someone had given me the advice early in my career and they just, you know, do it often. Just just do it. The longer you put it off, the worse yeah. it's going to get. Just do it often, and the more you do it, and you prepare for a, a, a hard conversation, take the time to prepare. But do it often, and then it starts to become easier and easier over time.
1: Yeah, and it just yeah, it it just takes all the. I think it neutralizes so much of the emotion of it too. When it just is, I've done this before. I know what this feels like. I know I can do this. It builds confidence that you can have the hard conversation too. Um, without it being a disaster. So, all right. Any other um, tangible practices that you guys have used, you you know, with with your teams that were just next level, tips you'd offer to our audience that is just looking to grow and expand their skill sets? Jeff, I can see you pondering. Yeah,
2: I I, I love what what Carly was saying about, about feedback because I think so many times we associate feedback with negative, right? I I had a boss uh, years ago that uh, his, his thing was his office and he'd say, Jeffrey, open opened a feedback. Well, you knew you're about to get your head smacked up one side and down the other with something negative, right? Yeah. But, but, but Carla, you point out very well that, that feedback can, and a lot of times, most of the time is positive feedback. You did a great job on that. Or, wow, you really stood up well in that meeting and you presented well. Those are all great things. And in my mind, that opens the door then for when maybe they don't meet the expectation and you have those, those conversations. Uh, one, this uh, dear friend of mine, Chris Hayes, Chris and I used to work together at law, And uh, uh, she came to me uh, one day and said, Jeff, every time... I'm I'm in your office and you have to give me uh, negative feedback. I feel like I'm walking out with a lollipop because you just <laughs> sugarcoated way too much. Yeah. Just tell me. Use your words and just tell me. And it was like she actually even brought in a, a thing of lollipops to sit on my desk to <laughs> remind me not to sugarcoat. So it was awesome. It was the it was probably one of the most effective lessons as a leader that I've ever gotten from somebody that I work with just Mm -hmm. tremendous.
1: Yeah, that's great. And, and, and it's such a good reminder that it doesn't, the, the, I I think there's a big difference between sugarcoating and like framing. That's how I think Mm -hmm. of it. So like framing the conversation as, you know, I've got something I want to share with you. I'm sharing it with you because I think you're amazing. And this is something that might be tripping you up. And I've noticed it a couple of times. And I just want to make sure you're aware. Great. Mm -hmm sugarcoating it is like wishy-washy, you know, it's much more yeah. wishy-washy. It's well, like, well, you're yeah. great. Like, this is something you could work on maybe if you have maybe. some time and, you know, there's yeah. a, a real difference that between
2: sounds like me.
1: Yeah. yeah. And me too. I've done it plenty too, Jeff, believe me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes I still do it. So like we can all catch ourselves in that behavior, but the framing so much more effective than the sugar coating. I love the lollipop thing. That's going to stick with yeah. me now
4: yeah. for sure. That is fantastic. I, you know, I think though, going back to that's the power and really getting to know your team members and their preferences. This individual might be, you know, much more open to more of a direct style of, of feedback. Mm-hmm. Here's what I saw you do. Here's what you could improve upon, you know, it, very much more direct versus someone else who might need that framing because yeah. of their own preferences, how they show up, you know, I I just that to me is the 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 most critical point of servant leadership is understanding what their preferences and what their needs are. And you're accountable to shifting your style to meet their needs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I love that so much. Well, I just want to thank both of you for taking time out of your day to talk to us. I, I can't tell you how much we've enjoyed it. And I would love it if you would just share where people can find you. So if people have a question, they want to reach out to you directly, where's a good place for them to connect? So let's start with you, Carly.
4: Yeah. Easiest way for me is probably on LinkedIn. Carly Cope, C-O-P-E is the last name. Happy to connect. Um, network, anything, anyone's got any questions, I'd be happy to, to meet you. Awesome. Thanks, Carly. How about for you, Jeff?
2: Uh, same. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, I, I love making connections, having connections. So uh, I'm I'm Jeff Tun or J Tun Indy is, the, is my URL. Uh, and then uh, my website, jeffreystun.com. Uh, you can find me there as well.
1: Awesome. Tell our listeners about your podcast too, Jeff, because it's so fantastic. Where can they find
2: that? Uh, so the podcast is called Status Go. Um, a lot of it is focused at technology leaders, uh, helping them to break out of the status quo. But even if you're not in technology, we cover a lot of topics that have to do with, with leadership. Uh, we, we released an episode this week on cognitive bias and how yeah, I can't our wait biases to listen to it. impact. Uh, um, our leadership, how you need to be aware of them. Uh, so don't be afraid that you think it's some big techie show because we we rarely talk tech. It's yeah. really more, what can you do different as a leader? Uh, and you need to check out the episode on some book called Crisis. Crisis, proof what's it leadership. called again?
1: Crisis you Leadership. you to check out maybe. that episode. <laughs> well, I do. I just want to pay Jeff a quick nice. compliment because I've been on a lot of podcasts since the book came out. And I was just telling for I was just on this, podcast for some guy in Australia who's like a book guy who interviews authors all the time. And it was so bad. It was so bad. I shouldn't say this, but it was just so bad. And all I could think about was like, I just want Jeff to be interviewing me again. Cause he was so good. <laughs> like it's, he's really good and it's comfortable. It's my favorite podcast I've been on. Cause it was such well, a great conversation, great organic conversation that happened and it didn't feel awkward or uncomfortable at all. So
2: thank really
1: fantastic show. Much. So, okay. um, So we're going to wrap things up and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us for the diamond dogs podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the diamond docs podcast or wherever you like to listen.